Welcome to Evangel Church Online, a safe place for everyone to explore faith in Jesus. And today, it's Mother's Day. Mm -hmm. So all you moms yeah. out there, happy Mother's Day. In today's video, we're gonna take a bit of a tour of Mother's Day around the world. Mm -hmm. And then we ask the question, what are your motives when it comes to turning to God? So all that coming right up. Well, welcome back. And if you're just joining us, uh, happy Mother's Day to mm -hmm. all the moms. Uh, and we said in the intro to this video that we're going to talk a little bit about Mother's Day around the world. But we figured we'd just give you maybe a little bit of an idea of where this came from. It actually came uh, officially in the United States, 1914. Uh, President Woodrow Wilson mm -hmm. declared it an official holiday. Doing a little research, it turns out that Canada, it is actually not an official Canadian holiday. But we kind of just adopted it from our brothers and sisters from down south. And so we do it unofficially in Canada. That kind of surprised me a yeah, little bit. Yeah, me too. Yeah. But we're going to take you around the world a little bit and uh, just give you a glimpse of how Mother's Day customs kind of play out. So the first place that we're traveling today uh, is Japan. And so Japan, Mother's Day kind of had a new significance or a new meaning um, after World War II. Obviously there was like profound sense of loss around the world, um, but it grew popular by, by comforting moms who had lost uh, children in the mm -hmm. war. And so what they do is they uh, bring carnations. There are two colors that they bring. Uh, the first one is um, red uh, to a living mother. And then there's a white one for mothers uh, who had lost somebody, or sorry, mothers who were lost um, mm -hmm. by, by their children. And so, um, they use carnations actually for a reason, and it's to symbolize the sweetness and endurance of motherhood uh, in Japanese culture. Right on. Well, next we're gonna go to Ethiopia. This might be my favorite one. Uh, some of you might want to experiment with uh, some of what we're about to talk about, but uh, just after the rainy season, early fall, it's dedicated to moms, and family members will come all from all over and come to the house. So daughters will traditionally bring kind of uh, vegetables and cheeses mm -hmm. and the sons will bring the meat. Nice. And so they do this big kind of thing. But then they'll also do some singing together oh. as well as some in kind of interpretive dancing that speaks of the heroes of that family mm -hmm. line. Uh, but next we're traveling to the United Kingdom. Uh, and the United Kingdom Mother's Day is kind of a church custom actually. So uh, on the day, it's actually called Mothering Sunday, not, not Mother's Day. Um, so in the 1700s, uh, the day was marked by young house servants returning uh, home to spend time with their mothers. And so that custom evolved earlier from a different one where actually families who had moved away from the original church they attended would go back to their mothering church, so to speak. Hmm. So they would travel all the way back to wherever that was um, and attend church there together. And so they would make that trek. And so the holiday in the UK actually still remains like kind of grounded in, in religion and, and that kind of tradition. Huh. And so uh, churches often will give out daffodils to, to women and then also specifically to moms. And then uh, girls bake a fruitcake for their moms uh, because you know, that's like a defining quality I think of the United Kingdom is fruitcake, so. Jury's out on fruitcake, friends. I, I'm not a fan. I take it. But it's funny when you say mothering, like mothering, 
I just I just picture getting like a phone call like are you wearing your jacket? <laughs> yeah. Did you put your sunscreen on? Yeah. Did you wear your nicest clothes to church today? Um, finally, we're gonna end up we're gonna end it in France. Uh, 1920, the government of France began awarding medals to moms that were having children, hmm. and so larger families were getting medals because they were kind of recuperating uh, from time of war and looking to build up their population. And so uh, Day of Mothers is something that they did. And now it's not so much metals, but they do a cake in the shape of a flower. Cool. So that's, uh, that's France, 1920. So that's just a little bit of uh, Mother's, Happy Mother's Day. We so appreciate you. And so we're gonna transition to Pastor Lisa, who's gonna lead us in uh, the teaching of the word. But before we do that, we just wanna pray a special blessing on yep. moms right now. Lord, thank you so much for our moms. Mm -hmm. Lord, we thank you that you have brought this blessing, these blessings into our lives. And Lord, we pray that today, that they would feel each, each and every one, your Holy Spirit, just comforting, uh, affirming, and um, speaking life and encouragement into each of our moms. I pray, Lord, that each family uh, that has the ability, that there would just be great celebration around uh, mothers in today's uh, climate, today's day, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Happy Mother's Day to all my fellow moms out there. I hope that you have already been spoiled and that you have more plans to be spoiled this afternoon. Basically, just an entire day of being spoiled you deserve it. Well, there is something about special occasions that puts me in the mood for a special menu. Anybody else out there? I'm gonna guess that you probably already know what you're gonna have for lunch. There's a restaurant that you always go to on Mother's Day, or maybe there's a special meal that is just your Mother's Day go-to. And so out of curiosity, Put it in the comments below. What are you having for lunch? And is my guess correct? Is this an annual menu that you partake in every Mother's Day? We are people of routine, aren't we? Um, we have like turkey occasions and ham occasions and, and brunch menus and Mother's Day, at least in our home, always involves barbecue, which is fabulous. And food is just one example of the routines and comforts that we set up for ourselves in our lives. If you stop to think about it, if I stopped to really examine uh, my own life, my own reactions, I could probably tell you how I'm gonna react in any given situation. If I'm sad, I could probably tell you how I'm gonna react and what I'm gonna turn to in that moment. I can tell you how I'll probably react and what I'm gonna turn to when I'm feeling overwhelmed or how I'll react when I'm gonna turn to if I'm feeling joyful. We are a people who have set up uh, fallback plans and preferences and routines every single day and year of our lives. And they only become more ingrained in us as we go on. Well, this morning, we're going to dive back into John chapter 4 and look at this narrative of a man whose fallback plan no longer worked. 
and we're going to see what happens when he has nowhere else to turn and the extraordinary lengths that he's going to go to to get help for his son. So turn with me to John chapter 4 verses 43 to 54. John 4 verses 43 to 54. And if you don't have a Bible, head on over right now to myevangel.church forward slash Bible, myevangel.church forward slash Bible, and you can get links there to the app stores. You can download a Bible onto any of your devices, or if you are in the Powell River area, we would love to get a paper Bible to you. So head on over there, myevangel.church forward slash Bible. But if you have your Bible right now, head on over to John chapter 4, verses 43 to 54 with me. After the two days he left for Galilee, now Jesus himself had pointed out that prophets have no honor in their own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they also had been there. Once more, he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. And while he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, Yesterday, at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. Let's pray. Well, God, we thank you so much for the truth of your word and for what we can learn about you as you have handpicked and breathed uh, these words. And so we rest in the fact that you, Spirit of Truth, bring your word to life for us and that you are constantly drawing us closer to you. And so this morning, would you allow us to hear your voice as you uh, just bring us deeper into a reliance on who you are and not just what you do. As always, Lord, would you just allow my own words just to float away because you are the one who brings lasting change. You are the one who brings truth. And so we want to hear your words this morning in your precious name, amen. Well, I wanna ask you a question this morning. Where do you turn when life doesn't go quite as you expect it to? Where do you turn when life doesn't go quite as you expect it to? We pick up this narrative <laughs> in John chapter four, as Jesus is coming back from this encounter in Samaria with this woman at the well. And it's quite a different crowd that he's gonna be interacting with now. He was in Samaria, uh, he was in this, this community, this culture that was at odds with the Jews, and, and he's interacting with this woman on the fringes of society and now he's back in Galilee and he's now kind of uh, interacting with a person who's at the center of society. 
Now we know right now that the Romans are the ones that are governing this area. And so this royal official was likely uh, an servant or a high-ranking officer uh, for the royal family. He's right in the heart of this nobility. And so while there was still some tension uh, between the Jews and the Romans, we don't know uh, what culture or people group this this official comes from, but we do know that he was likely a person with means. He would have had the ability to have doctors and medicine for his son, and still he comes to Jesus because nothing is working. He's at the end of his rope, and he hears that Jesus is back, and so he knows immediately where he needs to turn as life has taken this unexpected and this very tragic twist in his story. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. And when this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. I can't imagine this moment. And actually as a mom, I don't want to. I don't want to uh, think about something befalling one of my children. I think that's our greatest fear as parents. But I think this is this most extraordinary moment of faith. I want you to put yourself in this father's shoes for a moment to think about his faith in Jesus. His son is lying in bed, dying at this moment. Whatever they've tried hasn't worked and they know that he is at his final days. And rather than being there at the bedside of this beloved son, he leaves to find Jesus. He spends these last hours, these last moments searching out hope rather than spending it at the side of his dying child. And I think in that action is the most incredible act of faith as he makes his way to Jesus. He turns to the only one that he knows can bring any sort of miracle, any sort of healing into this situation. And Jesus looks at him and says, unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. And the royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. And this is one of those moments, there are many um, in the gospels where I wish that I could be there. I wish that I could see with my own eyes, hear with my own ears, because this seems like the most incredibly harsh response. Like, Jesus, <laughs> come on, there's this man whose son is dying. He is absolutely distressed. He's worried over the fate of his child. He has left his dying son and come to find you. He hasn't sent a servant like he could have, but he's made this trek himself because he believes that you are the only one that's going to be able to save his son and you rebuke him. That just seems like the harshest way to respond to this distressed dad. And sometimes I 
this is the problem with reading, right? We have to just take a step back from our own human emotions and stop for a moment and turn to the character of God. And David Guzik has a great observation of this moment because of verse 49. Sir, come down before my child dies. In his previous words, this is what David writes, it's seen that Jesus discouraged the nobleman from asking for a miracle. Yet this request shows that the nobleman properly understood that Jesus did not intend to discourage asking for miraculous help, only to discourage a faith that seeks only the miraculous. That seeks only the miraculous. Where do you turn when life doesn't go quite as you expected it to? But I want you to dig down deeper into that question. What are you looking for there? What are you looking for in your source of help? What are you seeking? What are you expecting there? You see, Jesus wanted this man to put his faith not in the miracle, but in the God of the miracle. He was asking him to shift his focus and shift his desire from just what Jesus could do into putting his trust and his faith in who Jesus is. And when life goes sideways and we cry out to Jesus, is it because we're looking for a cure or because we're looking for the God of the cure? Now, I often will say that, that God is not a genie in a bottle just there to grant us our three wishes. But I think this is one of the hard things about faith is knowing that God is able, but not treating him like this God who's just going to wave his magic wand over our problems and they're going to disappear. Because we can't treat him like that. We can't treat him like a genie in a bottle when he wants us to lean into who he is, to trust the God who will draw us close in the storm rather than just the God who calms it. And it's an important distinction that we need to make, even though it can just seem a little bit like semantics. It's an important question we need to wrestle with because one of these options is going to us, leave us disappointed and the other option is going to leave us fulfilled. Where do you turn when life doesn't go as you expected it to? And what are you expecting to find there? Are you expecting to find a God who's just going to grant your wish? Or are you expecting to find a God who will draw you close in the midst of a storm? And this is why it's important. I have had prayers that have not been answered the way I wanted them to be. I'm sure you have too. And I don't understand in my own mind, in my own human logic, why God says yes to some prayers for healing and restoration and redemption and he doesn't for others. I don't understand. But this is why it's important to drill down on why we turn to God. Because if I'm turning to God in the midst of my distress and I'm only looking for him to say yes, to my request, 
then at some point in my life that yes isn't gonna come and I'm gonna be disappointed and disenfranchised and jaded and I'm gonna be left with this idea that God has failed me. If my plan is I'm gonna pray and God's gonna do exactly as I want him to do, if I pray and I expect that God will do exactly my plan for my life, then I'm gonna be left wanting. Turning to God only so that he can fix what is going wrong, so that he can mend a situation that's gone awry, is gonna set me up for this misguided belief that God has failed me. That God just didn't care enough, that God was absent, that God didn't hear all of these things that we hear of people who have these deep hurts and deep wounds. And maybe it was because the expectation as they turned to God was that he would be their genie rather than their Lord. Bruce Milne wrote this, faith based on signs and miracles must not be mistaken for true faith, however, which is why Jesus did not encourage it. It fails to honor God, since by it he serves us rather than the other way around. And we are left with the mistaken notion that we are in a position to dictate terms to him. If my fallback plan is that I'm going to pray and God's going to do exactly what I want of him, then I'm going to be left wanting. Because my prayers and my ways are short-sighted. My prayers and my ways center around me and only me. God sees the bigger picture and he knows the beginning from the end. Or other way around, the end from the beginning. But if my plan, when life doesn't go as expected, is to run into the safety and the security of a God who shelters me in the middle of a storm, to run into the peace of a God who promised never to leave me, to burrow deep into the God who's promised me strength in my weakness, who's asked me to rejoice in him even in the midst of deep problems and troubles, that faith, that turning to Jesus will never leave me wanting. Where do I turn when life doesn't go as expected? And what am I seeking there? If I'm seeking the character of God, if I'm seeking my solace and my security and my strength from him, that is unchanging and unwavering and I will never be left wanting and I will never be left with this idea that God has failed me in it. Because I'm on the solid rock of who he is. And so I pray that like this man, you seek Jesus, not just because of what he can do, but because of who he is, this God, whose ways are higher than our ways, whose thoughts are higher than our thoughts, this God who's promised, don't be afraid or terrified for the Lord your God goes with you and he will never leave you or forsake you. I pray that we would seek Jesus because where he is, is where life is and peace is and hope is and strength strength is and joy is and everything that we need for the ins and outs of every day 
for the sunshine and the storm is found where he is. It's found in the presence of Jesus. And so Jesus responds to this moment. This man understands what Jesus is saying to him and he puts his hope and his trust in who God is. And Jesus says, go, your son will live. And the man took Jesus at his word and departed. And while he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. And when he inquired as to the time, when his son got better, they said to him, yesterday, at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. Where do you turn when life doesn't go quite as you expected it to? I pray that you run to Jesus, not because of what he can do, but because of who he is. And friends, who he is, is mighty. <laughs> who he is, is healer. Who he is, is provider. He can heal and he can restore and he can work miracles in the midst of our storms, just like he did in this story. But I pray that your faith is deep enough to be reliant on the character of God and not just the might of God. I pray that you rest in that, which is unchanging who he is. And I pray that like this father, you make your requests known to God, but then you trust his character and the peace that he pours into your spirit as this man took Jesus at his word and departed. He took him at his word. He, he just trusted him. He didn't race home. He didn't linger to, to beg and get down on his knees. He just trusted God. Just trusted him. Where do you turn when life doesn't go quite as you expected it to? Where do you turn when it does? See, when we turn to God only when life goes awry because we are clinging to the signs and miracles, we miss out on the depth of relationship that's found in a faith based on who God is and not just on what he does. If our faith is just based on what God does, then we don't really have need for him when life is going okay. We don't have to turn to him in times of sunshine and peace and normal. We only turn to him when life is off the rails. Clinging to God in the storm is, is great, it's necessary. But do we cling to him in the calm? Trusting in the character of God and not just the might of God means that he has a place in every season of our lives and not just the ones where our need for him is apparent to us. When I was a teenage student, we had a session at camp where we were challenged to just get in the habit of waking up and saying good morning to God. <laughs> to start our morning by opening our eyes and saying good morning to God. And that led to me having this paper I taped in my locker that reminded me to say hello to God as I got my books for the next block of classes. And I know it could maybe seem a little uh, silly, but it was this challenge uh, not to just say hello to God, but it was a challenge to turn to him and to acknowledge that he's with me all the time, and that he wants a relationship with me all the time. It was a challenge for me to 
bring God into my awareness in the mundane moments of life. And that not just to turn to him in the unexpected, in the stressful, in the storm. When we allow who God is to trump what God does, we see who God really is. And when we lean into a relationship with him because we want to be with him and not just because of what he can do for us, that's when we mature in our faith. That's when we deepen our relationship with God. And that's what the goal of this, this life is, that we would look more and more like Jesus, that we would draw closer and closer to him, and that the outpour of our life would be one that honors him. And so where do you turn, friends, in both the storm and the calm. I want to close this morning by reading Psalm 121 over you, and it's one of my favorites. And I know at the beginning of this COVID season, it was one that I shared with you, was one that I was really clinging to in all of my fear and, and nervousness about what uh, has now been over a year would look like. And it's my favorite and it dots my prayer times because it reminds me of where I need to turn. Not just in the storm, but in the calm. It reminds me of all that God has promised to us, of his presence, of his ability to sustain us, to be more than we need. So let's take heart and let's place our hope in Jesus because he's promised to be with us. He's promised that when we seek him, we will find him. He's promised that his strength is made perfect in our weakness. He's promised to be enough for everything that we face, for every day, for every situation, not just because of his might, but because of who he is. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. You will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. So God, I thank you that we can lean into the truth of who you've declared yourself to be through your word. I thank you that you are attentive to us, that you are with us, that you promise never to leave us, that you are keeping guard over our days. And so we lean not just into what you can do for us, like petulant children, but we lean into a relationship of discovering who you are, of delighting in who you are, of basing our faith, not just on what we get out of a relationship with you, but on the firm foundation of your character. And so would you draw us deeper this week into that relationship with you, that we would learn more about your heart and that in turn, we would be able to serve you in every moment as you awaken that uh, desire of relationship with you within us. We love you in your precious name.
Amen. We turn it back to pastors Lucas and Marcus. Well, thank you so much, Lisa, for, for leading us in that simple truth that mm-hmm. when we turn to Jesus, that he gives us everything that we need and that there's nothing else that we need to turn to um, in order to find kind of the fulfillment of what we're longing for and looking for. Uh, so thank you. Thank you for leading us in that. Well, uh, just a few announcements before we let you go. Actually, only one. Mm-hmm. And that is May 16th at 4 o'clock p.m. We are going to be joining with a national movement of prayer with our fellowship, the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada. And friends, it's so important that we take time to remember that we're a part of something much bigger than just us here in Powell River. And so this is an opportunity to gather as the family of God in this fellowship that we're a part of nationally and just pray for Canada and pray for our nation and pray for this world. And so we're excited for that. We're going to be joining on. You don't have to register for anything. You just have to visit uh, paoc.org forward slash online. So at four o'clock, go to that link. That's all you have to do. We'll have that link uh, posted in our live uh, on our website, myevangel.church. You can find it there. And uh, that's just going to be a great time of gathering together nationally to pray and just to seek the Lord's face in this season and in this time. Well, moms, we just want to say one last time before we end our stream today, thank you so much for the role that you play in our Mm -hmm. lives. We honor you. We celebrate you. Uh, and we just so appreciate you. And so we hope that today you feel all of that and more um, and that you find ways even in this season to be celebrated and loved. Thank you so much for all that you are. Um, And for the rest of us, we will see you again next week. Happy Mother's Day.